Hey, it's the Beautiful Business Podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm here today. This, you know, Melissa, I don't know where this is going to appear in the, uh, I don't know when I'm going to actually publish it, but you're the first interview I've ever done for any of my podcasts. I don't do interviews. I'm so honored. That's fun. Well, you deserve that honor because you're pretty fantastic. So my bio of Melissa Lieberman, my friend, my my friend and client, is that we met in 20. 18 when yes. you were going through your life coach certification. Yep. And you were honestly, you're kind of a sleeper. <laughs> Probably. Here's why I say that. I mean, you know, you were, we were, yeah. we were in that, uh, that certification group and I mean, you were great, but you were pretty quiet. Yeah. I don't like to put myself out there unless I know I could do it perfectly. So that's not really the best uh, mindset going into a certification uh, training. <laughs> you know what it's, I think it's so interesting to hear you say that because we're going to tell some stories from the start of your business today that to me, give evidence that you are willing to put yourself out there in a pretty big way. Absolutely. Not in, not in a group in one-on-one, which we'll talk about. Definitely. If other people are watching, I think that's where, and I've done a lot of work on it. So I I think I've um, might not be telling the exact truth at this point, but um, at that time, I think that's where my space was. (laughs) On the internet, we're fine with half truths presented as absolute fact. It's it's not a problem. (laughs) Um, What I'm curious about, and I don't, I don't even know this is what I know some of your professional background, but I don't know what brought you to coaching. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you a little bit of background. Yeah. We met, you were my certification trainer. You and Katrina. Assistant. I was the assistant. I I don't see you as the assistant. Well, I didn't see myself (laughs) as the assistant either. And that was probably a hard thing for Katrina, but she was very gracious about it. But yeah. (laughs) That was great. Yeah. So it was the last in-person training, at least in that format. Um, but my my background is essentially I've been in corp, you know, I, I started out in corporate America and worked as a consultant for most of my career, um, internal consultant. So working, um, building consulting practices for soft, software startup companies and really loved that. I was on the track to um, you know, to be a CEO someday or a COO. And that was really my entire identity. And then um, around uh, 10 years ago, my the software company that I helped start and we had scaled it and had an exit had really turned into this mid-sized company and a lot of bureaucracy. And it was, it was just really burned out and frustrated with the direction of the company. And around that time, my husband got an opportunity to go back to school and the school happened to be in Hawaii. And so he said, um, you know, let's do it. And I said, that's a terrible idea. I don't want to quit my job. <laughs> but we decided to do it and um, kind of begrudgingly on my part. And uh, I left that whole identity behind my title, all of the things and that I really had centered my success around. And um and we moved to Hawaii. Luckily, the company, when I resigned, said, can you come, you know, stay on as a management consultant? And I thought to myself, uh, I'm not old enough to do that, uh, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not old enough or smart enough. I'm to not old enough. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> old enough or smart enough. So, but I said, sure, you know, having a retainer when you're living in Hawaii on a military salary, all of a sudden was seemed appealing. And so um, that's really the start of my career as a consultant. And 
Um, and so I was, you know, consulting with clients and helping them scale their businesses, um, these software companies that I was working with. And what happened is so many of the leaders would pull me aside and ask me, how do I deal with this crazy CEO that I'm, you know, working for? Or how do I handle these, these conflicts that I'm having with my peers? Or how, how can I get my team to be more effective? And I loved that part of it. It was so much fun helping them from a, you know, at the time, a mindset perspective. I didn't realize that's what it was, um, mm -hmm. but that was really the beginning of it. And so that's when I found the life coach school and ultimately got certified. And, and now it's become transition from consulting into peer coaching. So that's the background. <laughs> thank you. So my, um, where I pick up this story is yes, we interacted when you were going through your certification. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I thought you were totally great. I thought, you know, I, in any given room like that, I'm like, yeah, these people are all great. They're all going to do fine. But then it fast forward, not too long, maybe a year, year and a half later. I can't remember exactly. Maybe you remember, but you, maybe it was two years later, you reached out to me about CFO work. Yeah. And at the time I thought, oh, well, I mean, yeah, Melissa's great, but I'm not sure that would be warranted yet. Well, what I didn't know is that you had spent that couple of years actually kind of accelerating more quickly than I am accustomed to seeing coaches accelerate. You were already making enough money in your business that, yeah, there was a good, it did make sense for you to hire me as a, a CFO. You worked with Amanda, member of my team for a long time. And I was so thrilled and I was so curious about, I wonder how she hit the ground running quite so fast. And then you told me the story and it is... I think a pretty hilarious, amazing story about how you kind of got things going. Now, you know what I'm talking about, right? I do. I so do. Let's I want hear. these people to hear how <laughs> kind of nutty you are. And I want us to talk about it. Tell, tell, <laughs> tell, tell the nice people how you started making contacts in your coaching business. Let's see if it could be as funny this time. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, once we, once we got certified, I decided to join a mastermind, which I had no business joining. Um, I had made $0 in my business, but I was like, look, I want to be the most successful as quickly as possible. And so I joined this mastermind and, um, and the, the process in the mastermind was, the way I took it, I don't know that this is exactly how the person who runs the mastermind would describe the process, but you know, that you should pick a niche and you should post a lot on social media and start driving consults and then get really good at closing business. And that's the, that's the way to, to create a business. And so that's what I started doing. And I decided I would be a corporate mom coach. <laughs> and so I started posting about this and there were no consults. And I backed into the numbers. I'm like, okay, I, I think I need this many consults. If my close rate is, you know, let's guess that it's going to be 10%. And I, I think I'm going to need like at least 200 consults to make my number. And how am I going to get these 200 consults? And so as I was describing this thought process to the coach, they were they were saying, this is totally wrong. You can't think about it this way. You have to focus more on, on kind of believing that that 
consults will, you know, that the consults will come and you. Sorry, that I didn't know you were going to say that. You have to focus on believing. Oh, we life coaches. I know. Anyway, go on. And my pragmatic brain is like, yeah, that's definitely, I that is definitely not going to work. So anyway, I went off the script of this process and decided where am I going to find these con? Like, if I want to get really good at closing business, is if sort of the centerpiece of 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 what I thought would be the most important thing to start from, I better just start getting booking a bunch of these because I know I'm going to be terrible at it, and so it's going to have to be numbers. So I um okay, but side I, note, yeah, <laughs> expecting to be terrible at it doesn't seem to have deterred you. Um, it was very painful. It was very painful in the but, moment, but it didn't deter me. No, but painful in what way? I mean, if I think a lot of people, I, I don't think I'm excluded from this. If we think we're going to be terrible at something, our first, our next thought is I'm going to be terrible at that. Therefore, I think I'm not going to do it. Right. No, for me, it was more of, I know I'm terrible at this and there's something lacking in me as a human. And so I better go fix it. Oh, <laughs> not that that's a great motivation. Yeah, I'm not sure I love that was. either, but it got, <laughs> it got you going, apparently. It got me going. Yeah. So you thought, I'm going to go solve this broken thing in me. <laughs> that's right. By doing what you then doing went and did. A what bunch did you of times. Yeah. So then what I did was I started thinking to myself, how am I going to get these consults? So this is, this has to happen. So I did a few things. I, um, I started I, I figured out that on LinkedIn, people submit requests for coaches. It, it's, it was this old feature. I don't know if it's still there. It's called LinkedIn Profinder. And so I noticed that these, these requests that I was getting in my email from LinkedIn were all about career coaching and job search coaching and that kind of thing. So I was like, I could do that. And so I switched my niche from this corporate mom coach, which I honestly don't even know what that means um, or probably didn't at the moment either. Um and decided to start start doing uh, career coaching, and um, and I started just responding to all day long, just responding to these LinkedIn requests for coaches, and sometimes they would result in a, a consult. And then I also um, hired a. This is definitely a no, uh, don't on the don't do list uh, from <laughs> from that that coach I was working with. I hired an appointment setter. And she just started spamming people on LinkedIn, which I'm still horrified <laughs> that I did. <laughs> but they started filling my uh, my my calendar. I I did like six or seven consults a day, and what? Yes, an an hour each, right? So and sometimes two hours because I was so bad at it. And so any each. So anyway, I, I just started filling my calendar with the consults in whatever way that I could. And I also started networking. I, I started landing a few clients and they would ask me questions that were all very A-line type questions. And I was like, I better figure out the answer to this. So I would start networking with people to, to get better answers to some of the career coaching or job search coaching, or I would network with people to to help my clients find interviews. I mean, I was just sort of like out there doing whatever I could to, to create as many conversations as I could. And so from all I gotta, of, I got to interrupt yeah. you though, because you're, we're all the way back at this thing where you're taking people's LinkedIn has this feature where it's like, where you can request coaching and you're responding to a ton of those. Yeah. What is responding to a ton of those look like? I mean, when you and I have talked about this before, yeah. we've, 
I we've described it to each other as shoveling manure. What, yes. <laughs> what what was the manure shoveling process like? You're like getting messages in your inbox and then you're replying to emails or or yeah. they're an interface on LinkedIn. What does this look like? If I remember correctly, it was a you would get an email from LinkedIn and then I would log into LinkedIn and there was an interface and I would reply. They would I would uh, kind of give us a mini proposal back to the person who was asking for coaching. So the person asking for coaching was giving some details about what kind of coaching they wanted and what sort of problem they wanted to solve. And then I would reply back with my background and why I would be a good fit for them. And then I don't, most of them would ignore me, but a few, you know, a few turned into clients. But you, so in spite of being ignored by most of them, Again, you realize that yeah. a lot of people would be ignored by most of them. And after sort of the 10th, 20th, definitely by the 50th time being ignored, they'd be saying, this doesn't work. Right. But you didn't say that, apparently. No, I kept going. <laughs> Why? I I was so desperate to book these consults that I would, I, I that was just all I was focused on. And I, so I'm for so whatever sure reason, I decided it. that I it would, I could make it work at some point. And I did. Yeah. That's, that's crazy to me. Now, here's another <laughs> thing that I find very interesting. You took a totally transactional approach to this whole process initially. Yeah. I'm going to get these consults. Uh, some percentage of them are going to turn into clients. That's how I'm going to build my coaching business. But now you're saying somewhere along the line, I just started to try to be a resource. All these people are asking me for advice yeah. on how to do X, Y, or Z in their career. If I didn't have the answer, I then went and networked to try to get them the answer. Right. You shifted from a totally transactional view to more of what I think is more of a service-oriented mm -hmm. approach to the whole thing. Why? How did that, were you aware of having made that switch or did it all seem like the same activity to you still? At the time, it didn't see, I, it, I was not aware of it. But I think what in hindsight, now looking back, what I think had happened was I had, had ripped off this Band-Aid or I was shoveling the manure like we were talking about. And at some point, I started building up my confidence that I could have these conversations, that I didn't need like a script to be successful, that I could actually mm. talk to another human being in a dynamic, you know, in a in a dynamic way that wasn't pre-planned and be helpful and and some of the clients were closing. I mean, these were incredibly cold leads. I mean, who books a coaching client off of a, a DM in LinkedIn? I mean, that's pretty. But you it, were, I, I don't even know. I, I don't think I realized you were actually getting coaching clients from this mess. Oh, yeah, definitely. That is amazing. I, I would never, if somebody came to me and presented, and I mean, you talked about this other coach who said, no, don't do that. And she right. went the belief route. If you would have come to me and said, here's what I'm going to do. I would, I would have begged you not to do it. <laughs> I would have begged myself. <laughs> because it's spam. I'm like, this is a spam yeah. approach. So spammy. It's you're going to hate your life. Yes. I kept doing it. And you were getting clients. Were you, were you charging them much? Like what, what kind of, what were these initial coaching arrangements looking like? Good question. I feel like it was maybe $500 a month or something like that to begin with. For four calls? For four calls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting too. So you didn't, I mean, a hundred and something a session is not crazy high, but it's also not crazy low. Yeah. And you, yeah. Were, you were making sales. I was making sales. You it were was finding like you. those, those yeah. diamonds <laughs> in the, 
well in the manure that's right pile. i mean right now i'm even horrified to be telling you this or to know that i have have been one of the spammers on uh, i mean i hired someone to do the spamming that's <laughs> that's what made me go um, uh who cares you know i read an article yeah, a long time so ago I can't remember when but the article said something like almost every business you admire has some spam in its history yeah yeah and I, I would, I mean, my opinion is I'm not anti-cold outreach Yeah. other than if people say to me, I'm going to do a big cold outreach campaign. I'll say, oh, I think you're going to just work yourself into the ground. I don't think you'll survive it. Yeah. It's not, it's not, for me, it's not an ethical question. It's like, I think you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. I, I think for me having someone else doing this, the, the process for me and then booking the calls, like I was a little bit removed from, yeah. from it that way. And then I was just so focused on these calls. And then, you know, to your point earlier, at some point there was this tipping point that said, okay, this, this number of calls, whatever it was, um, I feel confident enough now that I can start, start helping people. Like I, you know, there were calls that people didn't even realize they were getting on a consult <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, it was just crazy how many failures I had. Um, okay. But also uh, yeah. you've already spent money on a mastermind. Now you're spending money on an appointment setter. Yeah. Are, are you not in your head at this point about, oh, I spent this much on my coaching certification. Now I'm paying this appointment setter. Now I've joined this mastermind. Where are you with your thoughts about all the money that's going into the project? Yeah, I was also buying whatever course, you know, make money on this platform or that platform, yeah, all yeah. of the marketing, um, you know, uh, all the marketing uh, magic bullets. I bought all those courses too. So, yep. you know, I'm in, I'm in for in a lot at this point in the, in the red, but I had two things happening in my mind. The first thing was I still had a consulting client. So he was funding my um, my coaching startup, essentially. Mm. So that was my thought process around it. If I can make money still doing my uh, consulting work and build up a, a pay for all of these expenses with that and also, you know, contribute to my family and also build a little bit of a nest egg, then that that I'm going to do that for a lot longer than I would prefer to just to have that um, financial uh, support. And then also, you know, I thought about if I started a brick and mortar business it could be a couple hundred grand. So mm. this is a smaller investment than that. And I'm, and th that's my thought process of, yeah. So you of, kind of anchored I want yourself. To invest in this. You, you anchored yourself to, you know, that brick and mortar business is sort of like, well, yeah. money's going to be involved in whatever I'm doing. That's fascinating. Okay. So you, you're, you're now getting some clients. Yeah. And at what point do you sort of taper off on this crazy volume of, um, of consults? Okay. Side note, I've got to say this, because when we first talked about this, I can't remember which one of us brought it up, but I said something about massive action because where we're both coming from the life coach school, they talk about massive action all the time. And my thought was always, what does that even mean? And then when I said it to you, you, you said, oh, <laughs> I didn't even think I was taking massive action. Yeah. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I, at the time <laughs> I, I was like, I'm, I should be doing more. Yeah. I should be doing, you're doing six or seven consults per day. 
I was doing, I looked up the numbers just before our call just to see what they were. And I, and the tracking isn't perfect, but it was roughly 200, 200, 200 ish, 250 consults a year. And I just cannot emphasize enough. These were not like highly qualified, warm relationship driven. These were cold consults, cold consults. Like I said, in the beginning, most of them had no idea they were even coming onto a consult. <laughs> it was so hilarious. Painful. That's yeah. awesome. But okay, so now you're yeah. at what point do you start tapering off? At what point does the number of consults start to not be six per day? At a couple of things happened along that way. I met some really um amazing people and uh, um from those those conversations, what I thought was a consult and they thought was more of a, you know, just a networking call. Um, I'm, you know, I met those people and what ended up happening is they connected me to some, or, you know, different organizations. So um, for speaking. And so that's what I, a couple of things, I, one was uh, speaking. So I would, uh, they connected me to different organizations. And so then I would go and do speaking, um, you know, speak for an hour to those organizations like women in technology. And um, then I would get consults from those, from those uh, speaking engagements. Were these local? Were they virtual? Were you getting on a plane? No, all virtual. All virtual. So you're doing Zoom calls with different sort of affinity groups or or professional groups. That's right. Yep. Cool. So that was great because then I noticed when those consults were booked, those, those, they actually knew they were on a consult (laughs) and they were interested in coaching. That was a lot easier. My, my close rate went from whatever it started at 1%. Um, you know, maybe I was at 30% now with those and that, that, that started making me realize it didn't have to be so hard. And then the other thing that happened is I was introduced through all of this, all of these meetings, essentially, I was introduced to someone who hired me at a fortune 10 company as their executive coach. And then I got on a coaching fortune list. 10. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I got on their coaching uh, roster essentially um, as an external uh, coach. And so I started getting, you know, clients from that method too. Here, you've told me the story now this time and and maybe one other time. And here's, here's the picture that forms for me that it's that you came into your coaching practice with, with nothing, um, with no, with no sort of relationship built relationships built, no relationship garden to use the beautiful business podcast, you know, terminology. Yeah. And you just threw yourself into conversation uh, on, on frankly, a scale that I've never heard of before you were just going to get yourself into a million conversations. And the image that it gives me is you had hundreds and hundreds of conversations, most of which led to nothing and would have seemed mm-hmm. to me like a total waste of time. But then little like little bits of fruit started to pop up, like things started to work. But then all of this sort of funneled down or ended up leading to one key relationship, which then gave you the relationship in this fortune 10. Now, just in case anybody's not clear, you hear the term fortune 500, fortune 100. These are sort of like the biggest companies in the world. 
And now you're saying that you became an executive coach within one of the 10 biggest companies in the world. That's right. Yeah. For me, the story, the story that you're telling is I was willing to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of conversations. And the final sort of fruit of that was I now, and to this day, if I'm not wrong, you're getting a steady trickle of clients from one of the biggest companies in the world. That's right. You weren't anticipating that when you started having hundreds of garbage conversations. Absolutely not. No. I just and really that story. It, it came it it resulted in a few things. One was what you just described. Another are relationships. My 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 niche now is I help independent consultants. So those are consultants like I used to be who sell their consulting work to corporate clients. I, I'm a business coach for them. And so those I, I created through all of this uh, garbage. I like the way you described it, the garbage conversations. <laughs> um, I I have from all of those, I also created relationships with, with two or three organizations that have accumulated all of these consultants. And so they've got huge audiences of, of my ideal clients. And so I, I, you know, do webinars for them or speaking engagements, um, you know, a couple times a quarter and, and that really fills my pipeline. It's not even fair to call them garbage conversations. Yeah. No, 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 so, they're not, they weren't, they weren't. They, and I, I mean, that's my term, but no, yeah. it's, it's just you acknowledging that in the early days, we are planting a bunch of seeds yeah. and, and we're not that good at seed planting in the early days. No. So the percentage that actually bear fruit, it's going to be lower, but the, but the fruit still eventually came. See my assumption, yeah. and I, I'm probably just projecting because this is how I think I would be. And I know it's how some new coaches are. We have this, whether we acknowledge it or not, we have this idea that our sort of conversations to clients ratio will be something close to one-to-one. Mm, yeah. Right. We sort of think yeah. like, well, yeah. I'm a coach. I have a lot of value to offer. I'm going to talk to someone. They're going to appreciate the value. We are going to work together. Yeah. You went into this. Maybe you even went into, no, I know you didn't go into it with a one-to-one -one expectation. You went into it, went into it with something like a 10 to one expectation. But then when your early days were like a hundred or 200 to one, maybe not quite, you kept going. Yeah, I think I went into it with a fifth, like two, uh, one out of two should close. That fifty percent seems like a good starting point, and then I'm at one <laughs> percent. I'm like, this is horrible. <laughs> I'm terrible at this. Fifty percent. I should be at fifty percent. I didn't understand that. That's not the case for a cold call. I had no idea. I was just like, look. If I'm in this mastermind and everyone's closing, they're telling, you know, their, their stories are like, I'm closing a hundred percent or 80% or 90%. And I, I was just going for 50. I had no idea that these cold consults really their 50% is, is probably not a, a thing. Maybe, maybe it is for some people, but definitely no. not a, uh, not something when you're starting out to expect. No, so when I was closing maybe 1% and I got up to 3%, I'm still thinking I'm horrible at this, not realizing that I had been closing some cold consults and that was actually a huge victory. Huge victory. Yeah. Um, as you know, tech companies, for example, have whole teams of people whose job it is to do what you were doing 
but there's no expectation that those people will be generating revenue. Their job is to go get the leads that will eventually lead to revenue. Yeah. And their metrics are, you know, they're not, they're not expecting anything (laughs) close to a 50% success rate. No. So that's the story that I had to get in front of people. It's this, it's this willingness that you had to engage in huge numbers of conversations and eventually realize that no single conversation had to do something, but that your willingness to stay in conversation was eventually going to bear fruit. And it has borne amazing fruit. Yeah, absolutely. I think also an important thought process in all of this too, was that even if the conversations didn't go anywhere, or even if I never spoke to that person again, um, I learned something from each of those conversations, the way I was describing what I did as a coach, the kinds of questions that I would ask the person. um, And Mm -hmm. that could be a good kind of question to add to my bank, or this question is not really helpful and kind of remove that. And so it was so much, so much testing as part of this process that's, you know, and just practicing over and over again versus kind of journaling about it, um, which was another technique uh, that I think is commonly, <laughs> commonly recommended. Um, journaling you know? about it instead of doing it? <laughs> yeah. Journal Are about you serious? it. Yeah. So it's, it's like, no, I'm just going to go do it. And then it could be really bad at it, but I'm going to take something away from that. Oh, you're so, it's so. like so... <laughs> pragmatic. I mean, look, we're life coaches. We love belief. We love journaling. Yes. They've got to be in their place though. That's right. You you remind me of, uh, when I was a sales manager and trainer in a long time ago, I would bring people into my sales team and I would say, look, you're going to be awful at this for maybe 200 calls. Mm. I don't have any experience with someone being less off, like awful at it in fewer than 200 calls. So the question just becomes, how quickly do you want to stop being awful? How quickly are you willing to get through 200 calls? And that's a helpful paradigm. Absolutely. So first of all, accept, accept your awfulness because before you're good at something, you're bad at it. That's sort of a universal human reality. Embrace it and say, okay, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go have a bunch of reps conversations. There's no scenario unless you have sort of almost a medical lack of self-awareness, which very few people do. There's no way you do 200 calls and not come out the other side with a totally different skill set as it relates to talking with other human beings. Right. Absolutely. That's awesome. What else do you think people need to hear from your experience and your story? I, you know, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I've been working on with my clients too, is teaching them about, I think in this case, in looking back, this idea of a micro skill is really important. Figuring out, and by that, I mean, not deciding I'm going to be really good at consults, breaking it down even into a much um, more granular, granular focus. We're thinking about what is it about the consult that I want to get at, good at next? And so for me, at, you know, at different points in the process, it was, you know, I want to really get to the point where I'm offering 
you know, I, I'm clear about what my criteria is to offer to work with them and transitioning the conversation into that mode and just really breaking things down into a really small um, kind of micro skill concept. Or another example would be um, getting really good at explaining the offer from more of a value perspective versus a feature perspective and just focusing on that um, for a while and getting really good at that versus trying to more boil the ocean of saying, you know, when I first started doing all of this, I just want to get, I just want to close, you know, X percent of, of these consults. Um, as I started really drilling into focusing more on these micro skills, that's when I started noticing um, a, a lot more of moving the needle in terms of, of my success rates. So I think that that can be a really good way to look at this. I think it's an amazing way to look at it. I've never heard it framed that way before. It's interesting that you would have come to that conclusion because I don't think you could have come to that conclusion if you were not committed to having lots of conversations. It, it's hard to have a micro skill focus unless you have the opportunity to do a lot of iterations, a lot of reps. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I've said over the years, I've said to coaches when they're talking, you know, when they're so hyper-focused on get clients, get clients, get clients, I've said, no, you just need to, you need to do the, you need to do the work of coaching, meaning you need to have a ton of conversations. You need to get good at your words. And, and with this idea of micro skills, you're even taking that one level, I think one level clearer where a person can think, well, how do I typically have a conversation? How do I typically say a certain thing? Mm -hmm. Next time I'm going to try saying it this way instead of that way. Yeah. But you can only do that if you're willing to have a lot of conversations. And I think you give evidence that the willingness, the willingness to have a lot of conversations may start with a realistic expectation about what any single conversation is going to lead to or not lead to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Seeing the value in the conversation, not the outcome. Yes. That the conversation is its own. It's valuable on its own. It doesn't have to lead to anything. It's, it's, it's already valuable. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I, I'm saying this mostly, so maybe I don't forget it, but I've thought about giving coaches something like a 100 conversation challenge. Hmm. Just go have a hundred conversations and try to, as you work through those conversations, try to become aware of how you are in those conversations. Take your focus off a transaction anyway. Yeah. I love that as a challenge. I was doing the numbers. It's I've had 700 conversations in the last five years. That is crazy. Yeah, that I've tracked. I'm sure there's more than that that I haven't tracked, but yeah. I, I'm really grateful that you've tracked it because now when I talk about, I sort of have two phases of my life I can talk about. I was in this sales job that I'm talking about and then mm -hmm. I got out of that job 15 years ago, but I probably spent in the course of the time on that job, I probably spent, I think about 4,000 hours in conversation. So if I'm a good listener, I think I became a good listener in those 4,000 hours. Yeah. yeah. And since becoming an actual coach, I don't know what the number is. I think it's probably approaching 2,000 hours. That's the, this is another side note, but I have, it has crossed my mind to train coaches because of course we all think about training coaches. It's, it's, it's inevitable. I've thought if I were ever going to do some sort of a coach training, I would create some sort of crazy 
benchmark, like 2000 hours or a thousand mm-hmm. hours and say, I don't care how long it takes, but let's work toward this yeah. because I can't imagine a person getting to the other side of 700 hours like you've done and not have whatever coaching practice they want to have. I can't fathom it. No, I think it's, I think that approach is so much more realistic than all of these stories we hear in the coaching world about, I don't know, you know, when you look at another person's coaching practice from the outside, you don't, you don't, it's so hard to imagine what kind of is, 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 um, you know, you look at them and think, wow, they just blew up on social media or, or so-and-so, you know, promoted them on their podcast and that's where their business came from. And, and those things are so hard to feel like you could replicate them. This idea of go have, you know, a thousand, a hundred conversations or, you know, a thousand hours or whatever it is, it feels so much more um, available to them, you know, to the masses, I guess, if you will. Yeah. It just yeah. brings it down to a level where you can say, I could do that. Yeah, that's right. I could do that. I love that. Anything else you think people need to hear? Any advice you would give that you haven't given? I think another thing that stands out to me so much, Mark, and even, you know, this is, I think I'm on the fifth year of my business now and, and, talking to you always helps me to solidify this. And the podcast has also, if I'm running a one-on-one coaching practice, and that means that there are certain things that are, are appropriate for that and relevant for that, that aren't those sexy things necessarily that you see out in, you know, that, that digital marketers are talking about that, you know, like Amy Porterfield or whoever it is. Mm. And I think you are constantly reminding me of, yeah, that shiny object over there, uh, that shiny marketing technique, whatever it is, isn't necessary for a one-on-one coaching practice. And so I think that that it can be so easy to get distracted by, you know, these, these techniques that people are, are, recommending TikTok or whatever, whatever they are, and feel like you need to go chase the latest, that latest uh, technique. And I know I've done that in the past. I want to do things right, the right way. And not realizing that, that there's another filter that goes on that, which is what is the type of business that you're running? Is it a coaching business? Is it a, you know, as you were talking about early in this, in this podcast um, series, is it a training business? Is it a mentoring business? Like what exactly are you running? And then, and then selecting your strategies more carefully from that perspective. That's, that's helped me so much uh, as of late to, to really constrain. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear you say that. And you're you're reminding me that I think that so often people want to reach for the shiny objects for, for, for things that appear to be the shortcuts in their most mm. either bored moments or their most fearful moments. Mm, absolutely. So I think um like there's a there's a marriage coach that I love and that I really follow, and she jokes that a high percentage of her courses get bought in the middle of the night. Mm. by people who are like, I'm looking for a solution to fix my husband, or I'm looking for a solution to fix my wife. It's sort of in their most (laughs) emotional moments, they're going to buy her course. Well, I think that we as coaches tend to do something very similar with marketing courses. Yeah. Like, oh, a client didn't renew. I better go buy a marketing course. A consult said no. And I was sure they were going to say, yes, I better go buy a marketing course. I better go buy a new piece of software. Yeah. 
And instead we, we can go by those things, but an alternative would be just sort of using our coaching tools on ourselves and saying, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath and see how I feel tomorrow. Yeah. I think that's such a good way to summarize it either out of boredom or fear. That's probably where I know for me, that's where most of my investments have come from at least early in my business, especially. It's so fun for me to be able to feature you here. Um, I don't think, I don't think most people will have to do quite what you did. (laughs) Yeah. But I admire so much that you were willing to do it and model that for anybody who happens to hear this, where I can just go have a bunch of conversations. And even if I start with a transactional intent, I can quickly see that there's skill building happening. There's relationship building happening. And that again, I think my, one of my favorite things about your story is that this mass conversation approach eventually boiled down to a few key relationships, which are now primary drivers in your business. Yeah. So is this willingness to do 700 conversations in five years? You'll never have to do that again. No. Your whole life. You will never have to shovel the manure in that particular way ever again, because now you have key relationships and of course your skills and of course your mindset that you'll be able to run whatever coaching business you want for however long you want to run it. You never have to do that thing in that way again. And that to me is super inspirational. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's been fun. How, I mean, we may have consultants in the audience now or later. How, how do people find you? Yeah. Um, I would love, I uh, love working with independent consultants, helping them grow their businesses and they can find me. I have a podcast also called grow your independent consulting business podcast. And then I, um, you can find me on my website, melissalieberman.com. And we'll put it, I'll put it in the, in the show notes thing, but Melissa is with, uh, one L1 My name S, is that... missing so many letters. So yeah, <laughs> put the link in the show notes, but it's M-E-L-I-S-A. And my last name is spelled Lieberman, L-I-B-E-R-M-A-N. Well, we'll get people there. I'm really mm-hmm. grateful that you would give us your time and your wisdom. It was so fun. Thanks for having me, Mark. Okay. Great to talk to you. You too. See you soon.